So what we're going to be looking at this morning is Jacob's dream of God's promises. That is Jacob's dreams of the ladder. You remember that? Jacob has that fascinating dream of seeing a ladder. And we're going to read about that and get some descriptions of it as uh, Cohen has already read and given us a glimpse of that already. Before we get into this study, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. I ask you bless us on us this morning in the study of your word that we rightly handle the truth, that we gain wisdom, that we have knowledge that will change us, change our hearts and our minds, and that we can take what we learn here from the scriptures and share it in, in use with others. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he came and he spoke and he taught and his teachings that enlightened our lives and that he died and rose again to give us eternal life. We ask your blessings upon us now as we listen and we think and we focus on your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, looking through Genesis, Genesis is a wonderful book. And the latter half of it, you see God's blessings, his providence, his grace. The word providence, uh, depending on what translation you have, rarely appears in any translation of the Bible. Meaning God providing a way. I think as I continue to study the scriptures, I see what is... What, we was expressed when I studied theology in school is a phrase called common grace. And that is God's grace throughout our lives, his blessings, not just his forgiveness, but in everything that when we believe and we trust in him, he will guide us throughout our life despite our flaws. And when you look at Jacob and you look at these men, these patriarchs, they have their flaws. They have these uh, things about their character, but we learn from them. And Jacob, I think, is a very fascinating individual. Um, there are some ways that I can't relate to him and some things that I see about him that the irony of God's way of working with Jacob is very beautiful and yet humorous and a lot of things that happens to him. You think about those who keep promises. Are you somebody that does that? Do you keep your word? Do you keep your promises? Maybe you think about those who have promised you things and when you were a child and they, and they made all the difference to you. You trust them. You believed in them. They said, I'll help you when you're in need. If, if you're somewhere where you don't need to be, or if your car breaks down, I'll be there to help you. I'll be there to, be, to, to bail you out of that. When someone makes that statement and then they, full, they come through for you rely on them. You endear them. You love them for it. And we see our Creator and our God, we should be doing the same thing because He is there all the way, completely, in His grace throughout our lives. And I think it is a beautiful thing to look at Jacob's life um, and, and to, to think about how wonderful it is. To think about God's providential grace. What he did with Jacob. I want to share with you a passage here. Let's start with Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 through 12, before we get into Genesis 28, which is going to be our focus on Jacob's ladder, that dream that he has. And in Matthew 8, verse 11 through 12, Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's the eternal kingdom. That's the promise that Jesus is giving that one day in the resurrection you're going to be able to rise up. You're going to be able to be at table with Him. In other words, there's the promise and blessing of eating. And as I start going through the Scriptures, and I love the Genesis for this because it lays the foundation of who our Creator is. tells so much about who He is. In fact, um, if I was preaching last week, my plans would have been on exactly what Richard kind of gave us a review of on the sacrifice of Abraham. So even though I haven't been able to connect that into our lessons because of last week, he's already kind of done that for us. 
And you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you think about the blessings. You think about eating with them. You think about the eternal kingdom. You think about the blessings that are, are given, that are promised. God's promises in the book of Genesis. That's what Jesus is building on here. He says this is what we look forward to. We look forward to the blessings upon all the nations through the seed of Abraham. Through the seed that we continue to see throughout the Bible promised from, uh, from Eve's seed in Genesis 3 and verse 15 and Abraham's seed and Isaac and Jacob. And that is, the word is translated in ESV as offspring, and I think that's a very good translation as well, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. And we read here, it says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, talking about those who are a part of the earthly kingdom who are rebelling. That's who Jesus is addressing right here. They're rejecting the Messiah. They're rejecting the cross. They're rejecting the promises of Abraham, essentially. And so they were thrown into outer darkness. You know, it's amazing when you think about Jesus, he can talk about hell in such a way that it's, he's not judgmental or condemning, or, but he is, in a sense, fearfully warning us. You, know, you don't want any part of this. What you want are the promises of God. And he says in that place again there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a reference to the very last verse of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, that warns us there of hell as well. But getting back to Genesis, I see this. I see the blessings of Abraham. The Bible says all the families, all the nations, the earth will be blessed through him, through his seed. Sometimes when the, seed is, the word seed is used or offspring, it's plural, and sometimes it's singular. But there's a very singular offspring, a very singular seed by which all the nations will be blessed. And you should be, you should be able to know and infer right now and know who that is. If you've read the Bible and if you've been in Bible class, you know who the seed of God by which all the nations are blessed all the nations, all the Gentiles, all the ethnicities of the world. And I think that's the beauty of the Scriptures. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your genetics are. God loves all people. You're made in His image. And He gives you promises. And, and, and I think that's another thing that's emphasized here in Genesis and throughout the New Testament is that so many people for so long have been trying to live by God's laws and His commandments and judgment of themselves and of others. And what stands out to me throughout the book in the New Testament and it stands out in Jacob's life is if you focus on God's promises, if you live by His grace, I believe in God's promises, and I'm going to live for what He promises me, then I'm going to walk and follow Him. The obedience just falls in line there. If I believe, there's the faith. If I rely, if I trust in God and His promises, I'm going to obedient, be obedient. That's why James tells us faith without works is dead, but then it tells us then a faith that's living, living faith produces works. You know, I can say I believe in God. You know, James 2.19 says, you believe in God, that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, you can read about demons confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. That doesn't save them. A lot of people today will say, well, if you just believe that you believe in God and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that's going to save you and that's all there is to it. No, you've got to trust in God. It's that kind of faith that you rely on Him. And when you trust in Him, you're going to be obedient to Him. That's a saving faith. You're going to come into a covenant with Him. You're going to want to receive His blessings. And that begins when you've died to your sins, you've been buried in the waters of baptism, you enter into a covenant agreement with God by, because you say, I want your promises, God, those that you promised through Jesus Christ. And all those come through, through Him. And so when I read Genesis, I see that. I see Christ throughout the text. I see the blessings throughout the, these passages. 
What difference does the, the way God keeps his promises make in anyone's life today? What difference does it make? You know, I, I've reflected on this before. In my life, I've tried to make goals. I want to do this and this and this. But I hear when I say that, I want. I have these goals. And life just doesn't go that way. I can make goals. And sometimes there are some goals that are right before me. But it seems like the goals that I accept are the ones that God has already given to me. He's put them before me. You know, do this. You know, marry a Christian woman. Have raised Christian children. The things that are just apparent before us that we, especially as Christian men, need to be doing. Live a holy life. Uh, but when I make my own goals, when I, when I thought when I was in high school, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to study medicine, I'm going to go play football, I'm going to do that and this, and all my plans in front of me, and it's as though God says, no, I have another plan. And I, I see that same thing with Jacob, and I see it with Joseph, and I see God's grace and his providence where God says, it doesn't matter what your goals are. What I want you to do is live by my grace. You have life. Because I gave it to you, and I've given you, I will give you promises. I'll give you many beautiful and wonderful things in eternal life if you just follow me. But that, I think that's really where the problem comes in. Why do we see so many who say they believe, but they're not faithful? And I think it is this morning, I want you to think about this as far as your life. Am I living in God's grace? Am I living for His promises? Is that what I'm living for? Am I letting Him direct me and guide me? And I, and I guess, personally, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I could make goals, but what's the point? I'm just going to do what God's given me to do in the Bible. That would be the only goals that I have. Start making our own things. It starts to look a lot like selfish ambition. I want to look at this, the, the, the account of the ladder of Jacob's dream. And this is where the message comes from. I start with a passage that I think is, stands out from our readings, and the message comes from that. And so let's read, let's read this together. Let's go to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to read verses 10 through 22. That sounds longer than what it is. And then my observations are already right here. I can't hide them from you this morning, but I'll try to next week. And then I'll, we can reveal them afterwards. But make your own observations as well. There are other things you can see in the text. But this allows us to dig a little bit deeper into the Bible as we make observations. I, I get this practice again from the, from the Bible itself. Uh, Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under and laid down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! 
This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured, poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at first. And then Jacob made a vow and said, If God will be with me, listen to this, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. A lot to draw from those passages there. And I wanted to read all of it. Jacob has a fascinating dream here. He thinks his conclusion is this is the place of God, the Lord. As we continue to look at Jacob's life, we see how he cheated Esau twice. Cheated him of his birthright and cheated him of his blessing from his father. And Esau, his brother, he cheated Esau cheated him of his blessing from his father, from Isaac. And yet here, God makes this, these blessings upon him and, and gives these promises to him. And it appears to me that Jacob's relationship with God was always a rest, wrestling match. It was always a struggle. Jacob's the one that wrestles with God, and therefore God gives him a name that we read about farther in Scripture. One who wrestles with God, Israel. El meaning God, and Israel giving us the other part of the meaning of one who wrestles and struggles with God. You ever felt like that? That's how your life is? You ever, I'm wrestling with God. God wants me to do His will, and yet I resist and I do these foolish things, but He's still there for me. And as long as I trust in Him and I lean on His grace, I come back to Him. What we see here in this text that seems to stand out to me, again, is God is telling Jacob a very important thing. I am with you, Jacob. I'm with you, and these promises to your father, your grandfather and your father are for you. And Jacob has enough sense to say, then you will be my God. Now, there are other things in Jacob's life we see later that he has to get rid of idols. He's going to have to come back to that place. He still has things that go on in his life where he had been cheating his brother that he himself, ironically, will be cheated. Jacob's name means cheater. And, and so you see a lot of that irony, a lot of, I think, a very humorous in the way that God treats us and the way that his providence works and his grace works. Again, from the observations here and the things that you might see here in the text, the latter evidently shows that bridge between earth and heaven, man and God, where angels pass between. Hebrews 1 and verse 13 says the mission of angels, as it reflects upon the Old Testament, is to serve man. Angels were given that mission was to serve us. And here, Jacob evidently is concluding from this ladder, this bridge between God and man and from the earth, is that God is with him. In fact, when it says God stood above the ladder, the Hebrew, the commentators say, the Hebrew text means that it could just mean that God was standing right beside him. In this dream, God was there. He had some kind of bodily form, which we see throughout the book of Genesis that God does take on. And I believe that is Christ before he comes in the flesh. Jacob, again, we all see, see here, he comes to this understanding, 
And, and when he realizes God is with him, he's fearful about it, and he's in awe of it. And he says, what an awesome place. And he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God. And he also says it's like the gate of heaven. And then he commits himself to God to be faithful to him and to give a tenth of all that God has given to him. We see that repeated throughout the scripture. And I think that's a precedent to be noted in our giving. Uh, Abraham did it. Jacob does it. And this is before the law even came. It's, it's not a matter of, am I going to go to the law or am I going to go by the gospel? And I ask him to obey the gospel. But it does set a good example for our own giving. Some other things I see here, God's promises to Jacob that, st- are stand, that stand out in the text. By this dream, God promised Jacob the promises to Abraham and Isaac and his offspring that to be a blessing upon all the families of the earth. That's a wonderful thing to think about. That what are we doing here as Christians? We're a part of a gospel that brings blessings to all the earth, to all the families of all nations, of all ethnicities. That's what we're about. That's what we believe in. So I believe in the promises of God and I trust in His grace. I'm going to follow Him. And I think it's great that we could do the same thing as Jacob here and say, okay, God, I've, I've wrestled and sometimes I've been rebellious and I haven't been as faithful as I should be, but you're going to be my God and I will worship you and I will honor you and I will follow you and I will give back to you. And those things begin to change Jacob's life despite the hardships he has in his family. But why did, G- why did Jacob need to know this? He needed to hear it. Evidently, this is the thing that was, had been missing from his life. This man who had cheated his brother, he had been distant from God, not really paying attention to God. And so many people are like this where they say, okay, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. They don't pay attention to God. They don't look to God to direct their lives. They come up with their own plans, their own way, or they live for whatever desires they have. And they end up in rebellion. They're not really faithful, not really a disciple of Christ. They're not, not true to their faith. But here we start to see Jacob beginning to change in his life. Not completely. Over time, he continues to struggle and to wrestle throughout his life with his Creator. But Jacob, as his name implies, he's again a cheater. And I think it's interesting later when we get into chapter 31 where Jacob wrestles with this man whom he identifies as God or the Lord. And he asks for a blessing from him that the Lord sets his hip out of place. Now God, of course, if he, or whatever angel of the Lord, who, whoever it was that was wrestling with Jacob, could have easily have defeated him. But here, Jacob, I guess he prided himself in his ability to wrestle but, and defend himself. And the irony here of, of God putting his hip out of place in defeat of him. And, and it, again, reflects upon Jacob as here he was this cheater. He's always trying to cut corners in life, trying to gain the advantage for himself, set his own path, instead of going along with following God and his grace. You've known people like that. You might have been like that sometime in your life where, yeah, I was always cheating. You know, I often tell people I cheated my way through fifth grade, which I think is true. So, but here's the thing. When I, when I kind of cut corners and I started finding ways to make really good grades in fifth grade that were not really fair, um, I remember that. I remember that as a kid and doing that in fifth grade. Before that, I was a C student. I was a BC student. And then all of a sudden, my parents didn't catch on to it, but I started making straight A's in fifth grade. And sixth grade, well, how am I going to do this? Well, I had to start studying. I had to start putting in application to actually make good grades, and it felt good. So I started doing that, and I thought it was pleasing to God that I repented from that sin. In fact, it was in sixth grade that I was baptized. So I had good reason to repent and to put on Christ 
in that. I think about that. So when I look at Jacob here and the way that he tried to cheat things, you're not going to cheat God. You're not going to get around his way of doing things and his grace. And no matter how much we try in this life, it's like, uh, God, I know you want me to go this way, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to marry who I want to marry. I want to get the job that I want. I want to make the kind of money and do things my way. If you're faithful to God, thankfully, you'll have enough mercy on you to ruin those plans and put you on the path that you should go. Some other observations I see about Jacob here. Some people, again, take advantage instead of relying on God's promises. And the Bible continues to reflect upon how we need to rest and rely on the promises of God. And yet, so many times we struggle with him. Even toward Jacob, toward the end of his life, you see him. When he was there at the place where he had that dream in Bethel, he set up that pillar there. But you know what he didn't set up? He didn't set up an altar. He didn't start right then worshiping God. It wasn't until later that God commanded him, you go back to Bethel and you build an altar there and you worship me and you put away all those other gods. He makes another change in his life built upon these things that he's gone through, the dream, the wrestling, and now to return and build an altar there. I think about those things. As you reflect and think about your own life, I hope that you think about that. Uh, The times that I've resisted God, that I've gone against Him. I'll tell you this as well, the blessings of following God's grace and His promises. If you're struggling with a sin right now, I would encourage you to do this, to start reflecting on His blessings and His grace. How much He has forgiven you and how you don't need to go back to that kind of living. How He has blessed you and that He says there's no sin that you can't escape from, that's too great that you cannot overcome. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. And if you will follow him and quit rebelling against him, you'll see great blessings in your life, wonderful things. We know that's true, and we can see that reflected throughout the Bible here. Do you know anyone who does not think much of God? They don't think much of the truth of God's grace. I want to reflect a little bit on that before we go, as we go further. One of the great things about this event, about this ladder, is right here in John chapter 1, verses 50 to 51. Jesus comes and he sees Nathanael and he says, I saw you under the tree. And Nathanael believes right then that he is the Son of God. And listen to what Jesus says to Nathanael. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. What are you going to see? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of God. Wait a minute. You see the angels descending and ascending on the Son of God. I was looking at this and I said, I need to look at this a little bit deeper. Why does the translator make it this way, that it's on the Son of God? Maybe his preposition is wrong here. I'm going to check it in the Greek. Well, the Greek makes it very clear. Emphatic word, the Greek word epi, meaning upon the Son of God. The message is this. That bridge, that picture of the ladder, Jacob's ladder, that dream he had, it was a foreshadowing of Christ. That He is the bridge between God and man, of God being with us. And that's what Jesus says here. You see such great things. He says you're going to see greater things. And He says, and the Son of Man is that bridge. Now, it's also curious here because Jesus calls Himself the Son of Man. And when He says Son of Man, it's about one specific Scripture, a Messianic Scripture. And that's in Daniel 7, verses 13-14. through 14. 
I have another scripture in Hebrews 10. I'm going to leave you to look that up. Hebrews 10, 19 and 22 for your own study on this. About the blessings coming through Jesus Christ. But I want you to look, give your attention to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. If you're not familiar with it. It says there in the text, the Son of Man, this is in heaven, will come to the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days, who clearly is God, is going to give him an eternal kingdom. This is what's also being reflected on here. The idea of this heavenly picture, the angels, God's presence, Christ has come, the Son of Man has come, the one who's going to be the Messiah, the King, to receive an eternal kingdom. His eternal kingdom is now, it's begun with the church, His people, and it will go into eternity as the heavenly kingdom where we will live together with eternal life that's blessed through, through God. It's a part of God's promises. It's those promises, that grace and those promises that should compel you and change your life when you believe in Him and you believe and you follow the one who will give them to you. I want to reflect on another passage here, Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. And again, if you can see up there, I could be quoting a lot more scriptures this morning. So there's a, there's a passage to Romans and 2 Corinthians as well. But I want you to look at this one. Paul says, when you read this, he says, when you read this, I, and so the implication here is that Christians can read or should be able to read, and it should be a foundation for us to be able to read and to read God's Word. I always tell my children all the time, you go to school and you learn to read. The most important thing you can do is to learn to read the Bible, to learn to read God's Word. That's why I want you to be there. He says, and you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ in which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Listen to this. The mystery that the Gentiles, that's the nations, all ethnicities, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's that promise that's emphasized in these other scriptures here that are amazing. It is when we look forward to the promises of God that we're going to be faithful to Him, we're going to live in His grace, and we're going to find ourselves obedient. How can a believer rely on God's grace and not wrestle so much with Him? I'll leave you a few more thoughts here before we conclude this morning. But I encourage you to do this, to trust in what God gives you. Trust in Him leading your life and Him directing your path. Receiving God's promises depends on faith and it rests on grace. You know, I think about passages, the passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that's often used to say, listen, you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is believe. And the passage says you're saved by grace through faith. And that's true. And that's what the scripture says. And we are. Well, we're saved because we are faithful to God and we believe in Him. It's through faith. And we're saved by grace. It's not of our own works. Nothing that we have done. But that also implies this. Not the sense of, well, He just forgave me of my sins. No, because He's given me blessings to live for. He's given me a direction for one to give my whole life as a living sacrifice to Him. I know that might seem like a very simple statement, and maybe almost cliche. But I want you to think about it. When you start to think about it on a deeper level, it's going to make a change in your heart and your mind. That I'm going to follow God and rest in His grace, and when I believe in Him the way I should believe in Him, I'm going to be obedient Romans here tells us that we need to rest on His grace and believe that God is the one who raises the dead and thus He blesses. We also see here that God's law, it doesn't annul God's promises. Galatians has this whole section in it about, okay, the promises to Abraham, the promises to bless all the nations of the earth came before the law. And the law can't annul them. 
And God's going to fulfill them, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through that offspring and through the seed of Jesus Christ. Another thing to bring out here as far as the promises of God it has a great effect on us. So we want to live by grace. We see that in the book of Romans, where if we live by grace and in God's forgiveness and we walk in His light, all of our sins are washed away. We want to live that way. How can we who died to sin still live in it, is what Romans chapter 6 tells us. The passages tell us to live in this way. I don't know if I'm communicating the best this morning, but I guess when your focus is on what God's promises and goals are for you, rather than you being so absorbed on what you've decided, it makes a big difference in your obedience and your faithfulness to your Creator. And our final thoughts this morning. Next time that you're struggling, you're wrestling with God and you think about it, I hope you think on God's grace. You think about His favor and His blessings, and I hope that it changes the way and it helps me that when I start to struggle with something, I'm being tempted by something, it's a wake up. Who am I going to lean on? I'm going to lean on God. I'm going to fall after His promises because whatever I want in this life, it, what's the purpose of it in the end if I live for myself? Do God's promises compel you to follow Him? I hope that they do. I think this is a wonderful scripture to conclude with and do our invitation on, and that is Acts 2, 38 and 39. And if you grew up in the churches of Christ, you should be able to quote verse 38, but maybe not verse 39. But I want you to look at them together. Peter says this, he's preaching, and this is the beginning of the church and the gospel. He's preaching, and a wonderful thing, event comes from this. And his conclusion at the end is, what shall we do? What are we, what are we to do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the remission of your sins, for your sins to be removed, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are promises that come if you are faithful and you repent to God. And listen to this, it's for the, for the promise. There it is again, the promise. The promises we've seen throughout Scripture from God that compel us to know and to believe in Him, to trust in Him, and to rely on Him. It says, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And a lot of people take that. Maybe the far off means other descendants. But if you go over to Ephesians in chapter 2, the far off talking to all nations and all people. For those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. The promise is for everyone. And so this morning, turn your attention to the promises of God. Stop making it about you and your own ambitions. Make it about what God gives you and let Him direct your life. Accept the blessings that He gives you. Now when Peter preaches this, he says the promises to all to you, what you need to do is repent and be baptized. You know that this morning. And the response then, that day in Acts 2 verse 41, it says those who received His word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That would be amazing to see those 12 men baptized 3,000 people. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, I hope that you accept and you want the promises of God and it compels you to repent and come to Him. Whatever your needs are this morning, you need to make your life right. You need to focus again on Him. I encourage you to do so. As we look at the example of Jacob, we stop so much wrestling but trusting in our Creator. I encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.